Welcome to the Curious Coaches Club, the podcast for those interested in professional football coaching. In this week's episode, I'm chatting with Steve Healy. Steve coaches full-time at Leicester City's Category 1 Academy, where he is also the head coach of the Thai International Football Academy. We'll be talking about his extensive experience as a coach and how it has helped prepare him for the challenges he faces in his current role. So, Steve, um, tell us about your current role, what, what you're doing at the moment, and, and what your journey has been to get there. Uh, yeah, so my current role at the moment is I'm uh, International Academy Head Coach at Leicester City Football Club. And then also um, at the moment, because of the current pandemic, is I'm a Youth Development Phase Coach at the club as well now. So um, how I got there... Um, God, I just think, uh, obviously failed footballer like we all are as coaches. <laughs> and then um, I went to university, still didn't really know what I wanted to do, do with myself, but I knew I wanted to do something in and around football. Okay. Uh, it was quite funny, whilst I was, um, do, uh, whilst I was uh, training football in one of the football programmes and stuff, uh, they delivered the old um, prelim coaching courses and the, the, right. the head coach at the time kind of said to me, I don't know whether he was subtly kind of <laughs> softly letting me down, but he was like, you're actually quite good at this coaching stuff. You should maybe consider this <laughs> rather than my, my playing career. So um, I didn't think anything of it. And I, I, I like I say, I, I wanted to go to university and continue my studying. And then um, I came back to it because um, it was just around the time when like sports development officer jobs were becoming a thing. And yeah. um, there was an opportunity and a pathway for, for, um, you know, people that would study in sports science or sports studies to, to continue their career path. So yeah. um, I, I had a little look and then I decided that I wanted to go to the States um, for MLS camps, uh, work for New York Red Bulls um, as a player. Was this, was, sorry, was this straight after university then? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because what, yeah. what I actually planned to do is I actually planned to go and work at a ski resort for the winter and then plan to do oh. the summer. Yeah. Plan to go do the summer um, coaching uh, whilst I was still figuring out what I wanted to do or which direction I was going to pursue. Because mm. um, mm. I just wanted a break from education and, and courses. My, my brain was fried. And what, and, had you, uh, what had you studied at university, Steve? Was it was it sport related or? or yeah, it was sports studies. Yeah, sports yeah. studies. I, I did. Um, so yeah, it was quite quite intense. Um, and then just yeah, I just wanted to. Uh, let me hair down as per se as uh, I haven't got any anymore <laughs> but um, I, I unfortunately I, I injured my knee um, so I couldn't go to the ski resort to um, work at the the hotel or, or whatnot and obviously just go on the slopes every day snowboarding so right. I, had to, I had to get myself um, fit and recovered and uh, I did that in time um, and went out went out to the states um, and it gave me enough time to to have a little further practice and go at coaching so I, I did mm. my level one and did my level two during that time as well and then uh, went out to the states and had the best time uh, it was just fantastic and the people and the experiences that you get going out there and then, what uh, and then injured have, money again. What, what age would you have been um, around was, this time? Well finishing university I was by well, the time that was happening I was around 24 yeah about okay. 24 um so I'd, I'd been coaching since 
I was 17, really, 17, 18. I'd been doing some grassroots stuff and mm. some like um, school provider stuff where you go in and do some after school sessions and, and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, um, I came back because um, of injury money and then also it was coming to the end of the contract anyway um, mm. with the States. And then um, I, I did some work for Russian and Diamonds, like development centres, um, pathways when Russian and Diamonds were still a, a club and a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then did a little bit at, at MK Dons and then uh, I secured a job for the County FA in North Ants where I was a women's and girls like community coach increasing participation and and supporting growth um within the county through girls and women's football so helping yeah. teams establish clubs and whatnot and then supporting women's football teams and mentoring their coaches and stuff so and then that led on to becoming a uh, centre director and um women's and girls development officer at Northampton Town Football Club Right, uh, and that's where it kind of just excelled really because I, I went from kind of coaching, coaching, coaching to managing a, a group of part-time staff um, delivering a, a program that was funded by the FA and then uh, obviously filtered in and dipped in and helped out within the boys academy during that time as well um, okay. and then that led uh, that, that job finished because the restructuring of the girls elite pathway system um, with what they did and then uh, I, I got a job at the FA um, yeah. which is where I met yourself um, Correct. doing what we were doing in the East Midlands as a uh, youth uh, youth development officer kind of thing supporting yeah. county FAs um, and then and then that job finished and uh, during that time that transition period um, managed to secure a job at Leicester City so started off kind of part-time within the academy and then that kind of um, matured and filtered into full-time role um, doing the International Academy, which is what the uh, the owners uh, push in and wanted to provide uh, talented youth players in Thailand an opportunity to get a, a different experience of um, coach or, you know, footballing development that is different than what they would get in Thailand. So, and then the aim is to improve the quality, give them enrichment, um, enrichment uh, opportunities and experiences and then and then obviously return them back to Thailand um, obviously the aspiration is to improve the quality of players um, within the league structure and then also you know the aspiration is national team players improving so yeah that's uh, that's kind of a, a roundabout whistle stop tour of yeah. how I've ended up at Leicester I mean it's really interesting you've, you've had such a variety of experiences there there's been a lot initially in your career related to sort of engagement, hasn't there, in terms of, you know, sessions to engage um, different groups of players. What were some of the key sort of tricks that you learned, really, that, that then fed into your um, academy coaching, let's say, you know, around what, what works with particularly teenagers? Um I think it, just doing the, the wide variety of roles and uh, obviously, like I say, some of the stuff in and around engagement is is understanding the, the individual, um, okay. getting to know the, the person. And I think particularly, I'd probably say the start of the youth awards and then obviously the, the work and the, the work we did within the FA at the time, understanding, yeah. learning about like the teenage brain and 
how teenagers behave and their development and what goes on during that time with, within their within their brain and obviously the physical changes that we that's well documented and well known. So yeah, I think just being um, uh, showing empathy um, yeah to that and and obviously trying to support these uh, the staff around you and educate the staff around you that sometimes we just need to be be patient with individuals um with with where they're growing and, and going with their development yeah because uh, one of the things that one of the things that i always thought you were really good at was that relationship side of things and you know I've, I've seen you working with groups and your ability to connect with players and and use a sense of humor as well i'm quite interested in your current role is that is that something you're able to to do as easily because there's you know you you're working with with um you know Thai players who's who, you know for whom English is not a first language how does that dynamic work in in your current environment yeah I mean to, to be honest the first kind of six months was a real driving test <laughs> where uh, you're trying to you're trying to I suppose, like you say, I'd probably say the strongest asset of my coaching is building that connection relationship yeah. with players is, is that's now been taken away from me. So having to think how you get around that or show that in different ways, um, you know, really, really stretched you. You had to, I had to spend a lot of time kind of thinking and planning and preparing sessions in how I got around to build that, that connection with the individuals. So, mm. um, yeah, uh, obviously over time, as you start to get some of the basic key phrases and, and language, you know, yeah. um, start to build that relationship. But I generally say uh, the thing I, I I did the most was just continue to show that the boys that they that that you care about them. Okay. That yeah. that there's genuine, sin sincere care for their development and them as individuals. Yeah. Another thing that I was really big on when I came into post, which wasn't really being done at the time, is I wanted that relationship with the parents as well. I wanted to not necessarily dialogue or anything, but I wanted them to see the face that was taking their kid away for two years from their family, from their friends, from everything they know to mm. a different, different country, different culture, different environment. And, and say that, you know, give them the opportunity to ask any questions. Um, so yeah. we had a translator when we were in Thailand to, to open that dialogue and get the parents to ask any questions. And you could see the whole thing was very, was very alien to them. They weren't used to this kind of opportunity where they would have a, a moment to speak to the coach or, or ask any questions or see how their son's behaving. And for me, give an opportunity to feedback. But although, like you say, you're not you're not going to have an open dialogue like you would in an academy environment. I felt that that helped build that relationship, and it also gave me a footing or a, a start point to to talk to them. So if I knew they had siblings or yeah. you know a little bit more about their own personal life i could kind of start that conversation through broken english and um yeah you know once they see that and you they're there every day and you're seeing them every day you know and catching them in the gym when they're doing the gym work mm -hmm. um you know showing that you're not just there just for the football and then see you later and sitting with them and reviewing their games on the coach you know yeah that, that's that real buy-in and it's it's something I'm really proud of having and, and doing with the, with the players is still having that relationship once they finish the program as well. So I'll constantly still message some of the boys and see how they're getting on with their development through many different platforms of social media or, or whatever. And, you know, they'll even the ones that have left. Then you mean the ones? Yeah, that have moved yeah, on. yeah. So they'll yeah. 
they'll, they'll occasionally call me or, or, or stuff as well just to see how mm. I am and how I'm doing. And then obviously whenever, whenever we do go back to Thailand to do some, some sessions, they'll, they'll take flights or they'll drive hours down to, to come and see us and visit us. Wow. Uh, yeah. Some players that have flown across the country to follow us and do the games, even though they've got their own busy training schedules and stuff and they're trying to break through to the first team. So, you know, when that's, it's really, it's really humbling to have that yeah. kind of um, affection and affiliation with, with your players once that even after they've left the mm. program that you that that rapport with them um, yeah. and you don't speak to them all the time, but you know, it's, um, it's just getting to know people and just being passionate about their development and their journeys and giving them and inspiring them for their, what they want to achieve in their lives. I mean, that's yeah. part of coaching for me personally. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting because we interviewed um, Lewis Craig last week and he was talking similarly about players that he's worked with at previous clubs who've now gone on, you know, they're now adults and, and how he's still in contact with them. And, you know, I think that's a real sign of the, the bond that you've, that you've built, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so th this, this program that you're involved in, just, just to explain a little bit about how it's grown. Cause it's, it's been going, is it about five or six years now? Um, yeah, five or six years. And, and it just because you're sort of your coaching team and everything, it's quite a big operation, isn't it, really? Can you just sort of outline, you know, how it's grown and, and how the programme works in terms of, like, you know, recruiting the players and then what happens from there and, and things? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been going about six years. I mean, when, when, when it just started, there was, like, two, two full-time members of staff and, and a few part-time members of staff. It was kind of a dual role shared across the academy and the, the international programme, just to obviously, I think, to feel out and see how the, the programme starts out. So, yeah. you know, we, 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 we asked and pushed if we could get a, a bigger full-time complement of staff. Um, and we were, we were backed, you know, you know, we're very fortunate that we managed to have, I think the time we played you a couple of years ago, yeah, you know, we've got a sports scientist, we've got a strength conditioning coach, we had a, um, an intern psychologist, yeah. um, uh, we've got performance analysis, obviously goalkeeper coach, um, and, and physios. So, mm -hmm. you know, we were a full entourage <laughs> and, and, um, it, it's good. It's good. It's useful because I'm not always going to have a connection with and a rapport with all the individuals, but I can guarantee you the boys will have a good relationship with the sports scientist or the strength conditioning coach or the physio if they're injured. Yeah. And they get to build those relationships as well. So, you know, yeah. I get to communicate or affect or help develop them through, through my support staff as well, which is, yeah. which is great to have. Whereas before, if, you know, there's only you and a dog <laughs> coaching the team yeah. and you don't get that connection or that rapport with that individual, then that makes it a little bit harder for you to, to get through to that person and help develop them. But yeah, so, I mean, it's grown year on year um, uh, with, and we've stayed at a consistent 20 squad of 20 um and we've you know as we've kept evolving we've turned players that weren't on the national team radars that are currently being recognized and now we're starting to build that that relationship with the national fa as well where they're starting to identify and come to us as well with talented individuals um, which is really really pleasing to see because that's what that's why you do what you do is giving them that opportunity and that platform to play on the biggest or at least biggest stage that they can do for their environment and then um in terms of recruitment there's a big 
there's a big tournament that's run through uh, King Power um, where our scouting network and uh, our, our um, team go and monitor and observe the games and tournaments and then they select um, they select a, a, a cohort of players to come down um, for a kind of a finals camp trial which is done a period of the year where then I go over and with um, the scouting and recruitment team at the club and we, we select our our 10 players for the following season so that's generally what's been been happening and obviously COVID's kind of put a stop to all that at the moment so we're currently going through kind of a, a review and restructure process so um, yeah it's given us an opportunity to stop reflect and, and think about how we can make the, the program even better um, going yeah. forward so it's but obviously it's, it's disappointing uh, obviously we can't because of the pandemic it's also an opportunity to 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 you know make improvements where probably you wouldn't have that before because you're on the hamster wheel going around constantly yeah sure so this year does that mean that you'll be having to recruit players from video footage instead or or will you still do you think you we still get that opportunity to go over to thailand i think the aspiration i mean nobody knows yet nobody can say or comment on mm. on we can can't really do or enable to do i mean over the year over the years we've we've built some good relationships with clubs and um, with key stakeholders um, yeah. in the country so obviously it's a case of continuing that relationship and building that relationship to shortlist and identify some talented players and whichever way we decide to do it um is yet to be determined but um you know we will get to that point where we we're optimistic we're going to get the best players possible for the programme going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly a big operation and, and great experience from your point of view because effectively you're, you're off operating as like a head coach, aren't you, of a, you know, of a team. You've got a team of staff. You've got the recruitment side of things that you're involved in. You've got the, the coaching programme. You know, it must be, you know, really good experience for you. Yeah, um, and... It is, and then obviously trying to support their their exit routes and their their pathway as well, providing those those right opportunities. And look, we live in the real world; they're not they're not always going to be there or fruitful. They're, they're trying to take the the top elite zero point zero one percent that people are all going for. So it's just doing the best we can and the best aftercare. And you know, there's some other stuff there where you're trying to improve the person as well. So if they've got aspirations of doing other things, whether that's coaching, physiotherapy, sports analysis, you know, it's longer term is can we, can we provide opportunities like that to help them progress their careers further mm. from that element, that aspect. And no, we've seen good. some players go, go out of the programme to go into coaching straight after as well. So yeah, it's been, yeah. it's been good. It's a really um, fulfilling programme to be involved with, to be honest with you. Yeah. Right. So what would you say the cultural differences in, Thai players that you need to or you've, you've needed to adapt to when when coaching um, the biggest one if you want an easy ride they're, they're the they're the kind of easiest group of players to work with because they're so respectful uh, and honorable um, culturally they they um, if you're older then you're you're seen and deemed as more wise and superior and senior so they're they're very respectful very humble from that aspect so mm. i could be j 
Joe Bloggs off the street, never coached a day in my life, put the kit on and they would think I'm the next best thing since last bread. So right. they weren't necessarily challenging, I suppose, <laughs> as opposed, uh, or as I've experienced in, in this country, for example, you know, see, see your credentials, see how good you are, that you're yeah. coaching, how you engage, how you connect, what's your technical, tactical information like, so on and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's for me, it's been trying to, I've personally found it's been trying to educate them to to stand up for their thoughts or if they don't necessarily agree with that or if if they want to have an opinion about something because they're they're very used to just being told what to do okay um, and then obviously you, you know yourself with football and teams in europe or in england is mm. it's very cutthroat so um, mm. as it is in thailand so although, although you will get you know if you're older you know you're not necessarily going to throw in a tackle or challenge whereas you know let's just think um, Nat Phillips, for example, for Liverpool, you know, he's going to be smashing Mo Salah in training because he wants to get in, in the, into the first team. Um, yeah. Whereas, would that probably happen in Thailand? I don't know. Um, I've I, I seen it firsthand with the, the group that we've got. You know, there was a younger kid who was six foot four, absolute massive. You wouldn't mess with him if you walked down the street. And there's a smaller lad who was older than him. Um, and the younger lad tackled him in the training session I remember it and uh, didn't like it so he, he lashed out proper went for him and started the smaller lad did the smaller lad as if he wanted to fight him and the older lad who could have easily floored him easily floored him because if he was younger he didn't do anything he, he stood right. up walked away didn't retaliate or anything and it was like would that happen in England I don't think it would I think they'd go hell for leather and you'd have to be there breaking up a fight but mm. um yeah, it, it's that's been the biggest thing, and it's it's trying to you're trying to break down thousands and thousands of years of like ingrained culture to try and get them to adapt into European football. So that's that's one of the challenges I've personally experienced or found um, trying to trying to help the the boys from that aspect if they've got aspirations of progressing their careers further. What are the players like, sort of technically and, and tactically? Because I remember when, I mean, obviously we, we had that game against, um, we had that game against one of your teams, and I was very impressed with the players physically, you know, their speed, their agility, um, fitness yeah. as well. Um, that was, you know, it was really noticeable. Um, mm. The, you know, the intensity that they they played at, the appetite they seemed to have. What what would you say about sort of technically and tactically? What have you found? Um, technically, I've over the years I've found that it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Like, um, uh, yeah, I'd say generally it's been a bit of a mixed bag. You, you'll get some players that you, where, you, where you go right. You, we're going to have to go back to basics and really get some good kind of movement patterns and stuff to receive or dribbling and ball manipulation. And then you you've got some players. I mean, phys physically they what they what they find. Um, is they find that they can do more than they realise because in Thailand again because of the heat uh, and the, the state of the pitches they play a very slow paced game it's very possession based generally right. as well um, and they pick and choose their moments um, when to increase their intensity in, in games from from matches that I've seen um, uh, over there as well so um, whereas obviously European football is is heavy metal. It's all gung, gung ho, get in your face, aggressive yeah. constantly. 
Um, so it takes them a little while to adjust to that and then realize they can do that. And then they, again, when they go back to Thailand, they struggle because they go hell for leather and they burn themselves out. So they have to manage how they play the games again. So yeah. it's a great, it's a great experience and great variety for them to appreciate and understand how to adapt. Um, but what I have generally found is they're great, their, their physical skills, their movement skills overall are fantastic. Mm. Uh, and what we what we tend to find is, uh, and this is just our experience, is that they have very kind of lax ankles. So when they come to our more firmer pitches, they we, we tend to some at the start of the program is they tend to have a lot of like ankle injuries because they right. move around quite quite uh, quite a lot. So it takes them time to get used to and adapt to that. But then also from our perspective and our our team. Um, of staff is we're prepared for that now so we we put interventions in place to reduce and eliminate those, those kind of issues that we have mm. um tactically they're they're like sponges they just they want to learn they want to know how to play a lot better uh, again i'm not i'm not 100 sure but i don't think the coaching infrastructure is fully there from the educational point of view yeah uh, yeah so it's pretty much if you've played the game or if you've been if some teachers or coaches have had some experiences elsewhere, then it's passed on. But um, yeah, they, they are hungry and they are hungry to, to learn and improve and they want to know how to play systems and formations and shapes. So from that element and that aspect, when you're teaching them the game tactically, they're hanging on every word that you're saying and every video session that you put on and they're studying it to the end of the degree when we're putting it on huddle or, whatever other platforms that we've got um, just to learn and understand. And then obviously, you know, they're very fortunate that we get to give them an opportunity to go to Leicester City first team games where they get to study and see in the flesh the games as well. And we sometimes set them tasks to go and study the players in their position and understand how they play, yeah. what they, you know, um, their movement, their positioning, their times of their runs and so on and so forth. So that would be the biggest thing that I, I think I, that they really yearn for and then they always because they come quite slight and slender they all want big muscles and upper body strength and stuff mm -hmm. like that so any opportunity that they get that they're in the gym doing extras mm -hmm. um so yeah mm -hmm. so you mentioned about the the, the movement skills where, where do you think that comes from then what is it that they do you know when they're younger to, to develop these movement skills have you had any uh, I haven't had an opportunity to go into a lot of um, uh, schools. It's something I've wanted to do to see what their kind of typical day is like. Or, mm. but um, I mean, there's a game. I don't know if you've heard of it. That it's called Takor. Um, no, it's like a it's a three v three um, like volleyball game, but played with your feet. Um, All right. Okay. And they they play it a lot in in Thailand and. <laughs> our physio our physio calls it ninja football <laughs> right but, um yeah it's um it's fantastic if you get an opportunity to watch the core watch it uh the stuff they do and how they do it with the the ball it's like a little size one two ball and right. some of the angles and how they get them themselves into positions or shapes to get the yeah. ball over the net is is frightening so and uh we actually we, we bought some small nets and they use it as like of a, an arrival activity or an intervention yeah, great. Art for the boys 
because they're great at like the the football tennis and and stuff like that. So we we let mm. them do that as a as a little kind of icebreaker, a little bit of a relaxation thing just before we start training. Yeah, and it's a bit of it, I try you know it's trying to bring a bit of home to to England that they're something that they're familiar with and used to. So yeah, it's just a good bit of fun. And then obviously um, Muay Thai. They you know a lot of so, some of the boys go to Muay Thai. Um, boxing clubs and stuff so they're quite yeah. uh, robust and resilient but I couldn't really put my finger on mm. what it is they do they have a lot of um, like town or council stadiums and, and athletics areas and I remember we played a game once in, in one of the stadiums and then we kind of had to be off at like half nine because literally the public were using it the athletics tracks the, the, the long jump areas and stuff and it's literally just flooded in with people from from the area wanted to use the facility so yeah fascinating so just moving back on to Leicester City then Steve obviously the, the first team are doing extremely well um particularly since you know obviously winning the league but then you know Brendan Rodgers coming in when you mm -hmm. are at clubs you know I know from experience things filter down from the first team what 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 have you sort of taken from you know working at a club where Brendan Rodgers has been because he's come from a, a youth development background himself what what have you what have you learned from him um i mean it, the biggest thing that i've seen in terms of difference from the managers that i have seen at the club mm. at present is is just brought in those standards and those those expectations and then um how he's introduced kind of visual um visual criteria around the building to, to kind of remind yourself and live the values and, and whatnot and the philosophies of what we want to achieve or the journey that you want to, you know, that we want to go on. Um, you mean in terms of messaging uh, then around, you know, the... Yeah, so um, uh, he, he's brought in, or he, he as a, I think as a, as a consultant, he's brought in the, the chap who, who wrote um, Legacy. James um, James Kerr, that's it. Yeah. So he 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 brought him in. I think from a consultant capacity or whatever, and yeah. I think he used him at Celtic as well. Um, and you can see that. I mean, an example off the top of my head. Um, prior to Brendan being there, you know, in, in in the corridor, for example, there would be boxes for the kit room or you know deliveries that would happen. And, yeah. And for example, there was a fridge in the gym uh, for water. That was never filled. It was always empty, um, and it, it's just those little little things that he's he's brought in where he's gone. Well, there's a fridge there. Why is it not filled with water? So, it's let's let's raise the standards. Let's yeah. if there's utility there, let's use it. And then this corridor, let's make it nice, neat, and tidy. Yeah, um, so real attention so to detail then. Yeah, and just the the environment that you you're in and around, and and like I say, the the values and the philosophy that that. Um, you see so i mean obviously this was in the old training ground what what he started to bring in um yeah uh, and then you know actually he, he's he's popped up a few times uh with academy sessions to see see the boys and see how they're getting on yeah and just have, having that presence and it you can see it lifts it lifts any kid and the staff when you see the first team manager in and around the, the building and he'll always be approachable one in a chat to you have a conversation about how the boys are getting on and stuff and 
you know, Colo's really friendly, really talkative. He, he wants to know about you and you as a person and, and how you're getting on and so on and so mm. forth. So just real, <laughs> real great people, real good people around the building, to be honest. Really with good you. environment um, by the sound of it. So what, what sort of messages has he given the academy staff then in terms of, you know, maybe what, you know, he, he wants from the players that you, you know, what, what the priorities might be? Because you've had some CPD with him as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. He's done some internal CPD with the stuff, yeah. So it's been... The uh, big, biggest thing that um taken away from it was just the... just I, I suppose it goes back to his kind of his core values in terms of hard work, um, how you are as a person, being able to take on board information and apply it yeah. and live values um, yeah. and live and die by that. So he he's massive on your work rate and work ethic because of the, the type of football that he he wants not only the first team but the the academy to play and the the physical and psychological demands yeah. that that requires it's just drilling that home and, and, and bringing that um to life consistently yeah uh, it's interesting you say that because i think um probably because of the the amount of tactical information that is now available on social media on you know, um, analysis on live games, you know, that you have Monday night football, etc. Mm. A lot of um, the emphasis in academy football can be around tactics, can it? But, you know, what you're talking about there is actually nothing to do with tactics. It's more to do with your role in helping to shape that person. And do you think that's something that's sometimes overlooked by coaches? <sighs> I think so. I think it's easy to get bogged down because, I mean, uh, as as coaches, you're you're always trying to look for the next edge or the latest trends, and yeah, you to outwit your opponent. So I suppose as a coach, you naturally kind of want to sway, and that's your interest as a coach as well. Is you want to find different ways to help your players or different ways to solve problems. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think I think it can be. I think it can be lost at times. You you do get engrossed in too much becomes about you wanting to play a, a pretty style of football rather than actually let's make this game really hard for this individual. Mm. But if it is a, if it is a high challenge, can we, are we going to offer high support or are we not going to offer high support? And if we're not, why are we not, you know, what, what's the other intervention where we're going to help the individual. So yeah. it's just trying to drill home those. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's, there's a framework and, and a strategy and, and, and a shape and a tactic to, to, how we want to try and play but yeah a lot of it that what i interpret and what i see is is um you know around that are you prepared to to run and do you understand why you're running so if we're playing a high pressing game you know um and players aren't buying into it do they understand that actually they're probably going to save more energy by doing the press early doors um, and being disciplined in those positions in order to get them on the ball in certain areas of the field that you want to get them in on, on the ball. So yeah, just um, continuously reminding us and instilling those and making sure that the training environment is consistent to that so that it becomes it becomes an institution where you just it's expected of you and, yeah, sure. uh, as a coach. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, I'm interested in, there's, there's been a couple of players who've broken through recently that you've worked with in the academy. Uh, the most recent one being um, Sidney Tavares. What, what can you tell us about his journey through the academy to the first team? Because obviously, 
you know, you're working in a Category 1 academy and you're trying to produce players for the Premier League, but, you know, for a team that's challenging for a Champions League space. So the standard is incredibly high. Mm. What, what, what can we learn from, from his journey? Because it's a fantastic achievement to make your debut in any first team, but especially at, at Premier League level. Yeah, it's, fa- it's fantastic. And I'm sure any coach would say um, within their journeys, um, seeing a player turn up for the first team fills you with immense pride. Um, and I'm not saying that you play, you know, I played a very tiny part in, mm. uh, within that, that player's journey. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a very small moment in time, but um, fantastic to watch that that actual journey go all the way through. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Sydney was, was um, he, he was a, a midfielder when I was working with him. Um, very calm, cool, collected on the ball. Um, could see a pass. Um, real nice kid. I had a real good, uh, we always used to have a laugh and, uh, and a joke um, when I was working with him at, at 13s. But um, yeah, watching him, obviously continued to shoot up. He was quite, he was relatively tallish at 13s, um, although quite slight um, and didn't have the, the pace that I saw uh, on the telly the other day um, from him as well. But yeah, he's just, he's, his ability to look after a ball and, and play, play a kind of a, a wide variety of quality of passes um, uh, was a joy to watch within within the group and then um watching him progress and then once he got to 16s he was playing in the 18s and then right. 18s he was in the 23s regularly um okay. so yeah you could see he was well admired and well thought of um what, what's enabled him to make this breakthrough then is it is it is would you say it's his technical ability that's the standout or what what's what's pushed him through ahead of ahead of others that you worked with in that same age group? Uh, would, me personally, I would say it would be his, his technical his technical ability in terms of how he deals with the ball, how he, how he looks after yeah. it, how he protects it, the positions that he does take up to receive a ball in kind of a pivot or, or a pocket space to, to continue the, to keep the play flowing or being able to switch the play. Um, those would be the biggest things. Um, that, what about uh, the person? What was his What was his personality like? Quite, I mean, you mentioned about you know, nice kid and good sense of humour and stuff. What, yeah, he's he's always been really polite, uh, really quiet and reserved. At the thirteens, uh, you know, when um, when when I was working with him, he he was always um, wasn't the loudest, wasn't the the bolshiest, didn't necessarily throw his weight around to show that he was like number one. You know, there was a there's, a there's a a group of players in that age group that were really talented, um, and uh, yeah, there was nothing necessarily stand out uh, in terms of a person. He was just just went about his business, turned up, worked yeah. as hard as he could, um, had a good relationship with his teammates, and then and then went home and did the same the next day. So yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's generally the the feel. Or experiences I had with him as a as a youth player, yeah, definitely. And how would that compare with with Luke Thomas that you also worked with? Because uh, he's broken yeah. through 
um, as a left back. Looks a really good player, by the way. What was he mm. like? Again, he was quite. I mean, that that group that we had in that. I mean, I, I worked with him when uh, under 15s. Um, yeah. Luke and again, he was quite small. Physically struggled sometimes against the more more developed physical kids uh, in that age group. Um, we played him in attacking wide positions as a, as a 10 because he was quite bright um, in, in pockets and receiving on the ball. And he played as a fullback as well. Yeah. Um, I remember we tried, because again, he was a really quiet boy, really quiet um, individual. You could hardly get anything out of him um, in terms of getting a, a relationship with the individual. And this is just my experience with him. I'm not saying yeah. that he, he didn't have that with other coaches, but yeah. um, I remember one time we, we tried to do a, an exercise or a task to encourage or put more ownership on communication yeah. and it fell, it fell flat on its face. And you, you were thinking <laughs> to yourself, you're thinking to yourself when you're looking at the bigger picture and trying to develop the, the kid, you're going, oh, that's probably going to hold him back if he's never going to be prepared to, to step up and communicate effectively. But, you know, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got... He's gone on, he, he went 16 straight into 18s, 18 straight into 23s, um, never really looked back. And then obviously England looked at him, played him in the youth teams. Yeah. And uh, yeah, obviously it's, it's with having Brendan and even Claude Puel, you know, he was big on producing the youth players in the club. You know, seeing, uh, seeing that opportunity to go and train and play with, the, with those players with the first team and he's he's not looked back to he's not looked back as well so yeah um yeah it's difficult did he, to... did he have a did he have a standout quality in the same way you know because the reason i'm asking this is we, we've had discussions at our club around you know the having a super strength if you like something you know not everything needs to be a nine out of ten but there needs to be something that is you know yeah. sevens across the board is probably not going to be good enough um, you know, did, w would you say that that was the case with him or, or not? Oh, I mean, he had a, he had a, I mean, he still does have a beautiful left foot, um, uh, and the way he could control the ball. I think he was on corners and free kicks at the time as well at 15s, right? Uh, okay. When it, when he was on the pitch, but again, he, he wasn't a player that was necessarily always going to get minutes as well because physically couldn't. Can always uh, deal with with the the demands that under 15s. So did did people still? Because it sounds like he's a bit of a a bit of a later developer, and obviously the club have been patient with him, and it's really paid off. Did was there a perception at the time that he was going to, you know, that he was worth waiting for, or were there question marks around him at that time? Or I mean, uh, that's something that the uh, senior management would probably have to allude to. But I mean, the general feel I got from the club is that he was always thought really highly of the coaches yeah. loved him yeah. um even though like i say at 15s he probably wasn't physically able to always do it but um they they knew that there was a, a talented footballer there and it was just yeah. a case of wait you know being patient for the everything to for time to take its place and then yeah. see what happens once once the physical side um has done its job but yeah. then also chucking him in that environment and seeing how he copes as well so obviously playing yeah. him under 18s how does he cope when he's an under 16 right he's he's flourishing right chuck him in at 
23s, right? He's flourishing. It's not phasing him. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And probably those opportunities and, and even the social bit you talked about, by putting him out of his comfort zone has, has helped him so that when he does get that opportunity then with the first team, it's not, you know, it's not a big deal being out of your comfort zone initially. Um, yeah, it's really interesting to see. Well, listen, thanks a lot for your time. Um, fascinating to hear about um, both of your roles at Leicester. Obviously, you're working at a, a really good club. I hope they go on and have a good end to the season and get into the Champions League. And um, yeah, we'll catch up with you again soon. No, brilliant. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Cheers, Steve. Thank you once again for listening and downloading this episode. I hope you found it interesting. If you've got any more questions relating to the podcast or feedback that you'd like to pass on, please get in touch via social media. I'll be back next week with another episode. I hope you have a great week.